Want to know what are the top power skills that every organizational consultant ought to have? Well, find out on today's episode of the Enough Already Podcast, and welcome to the Enough Already Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jordan, and in every episode, we talk about how high-achieving professionals can permanently ditch the 95 and repackage their strengths, their passions into a profitable, purpose-driven consulting or coaching business. Today, I want to connect with you all, more specifically, who are looking to build an organizational consulting or coaching practice for reasons that are so beyond the money. You want to do this because you want to make a difference. Because you get it, right? You have lived through those 70-hour work weeks that took you from your hobbies and kept you from that time with your family. You've experienced those crazy decisions that your company can often make in service of those 90-day numbers that impacted your job, your career opportunities. And now you want to break free of those golden handcuffs or you've already done that. And you want to escape the nine to five or you've already done that. And you want to make sure that no one else experienced what you did. So you want to land work where you can influence positive change. You want to play a role in creating organizations that are equally committed to people as well as profits. So the question, how do you do that? How do you just establish your credibility? How do you get the positioning to speak truth to power in a way that they will listen? This is what we've been going over in my Organizational Consulting 101 series. And what I want to do today is talk about the skill sets. What personal power skills do you need to cultivate? Here's what many consultants and coaches do that really doesn't work. So maybe you want to try to get your foot in the door just in any which way. And you think, well, as long as I'm there, I'm going to be able to get myself to be seen as a strategic advisor. So maybe I'll do free lunch and learns or say yes to whatever a client asks for taking subcontracting gigs, which really doesn't work because you've already shaped your clients thinking about who you are. So they already put you in a box. Or you might do what I did, which was a huge mistake. I was getting frustrated with so many of my clients who were not really implementing any change and it was driving me crazy. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get aspirational in my marketing. I'm going to say, ooh, I ignite inside out organizational transformation. And I'm going to attract people who are ready, who are purpose-driven, people-centered. They want to do that. And I destroyed my organic search because that's not going to work either. Or they might get aggressive or shameless self-promoting. But all of these things don't work. If you really want to influence organizations, not just land work, but position yourself as that partner, that peer, and speak truth to power, you need to cultivate your own personal power. You need to develop these power skills of an organizational consultant. And the best news about these power skills that I'm going to be going over in this episode is that they are highly learnable. They are not magic. You don't have to be wired in a particular way. You can learn these skills. And the other thing is one thing that I've learned in my almost 30 plus years of consulting is yes, there are executive unicorns who will share your idealistic visions of a balanced approach to leadership, like Mark Johnson, who was on my show in episode 42, or former Disney COO Jim McPhee in episode 40, but the majority of them don't. So you have to know how to meet your clients at their point of departure and use your personal power, that the power skills that I'll be sharing in this episode to influence them to a better way. 
So the reality is there's only so much I could share with you in a podcast on how to practically use these power skills and how to practically develop them and how everything else we've been chatting about in this Organizational Consulting 101 series fit together. So it's for this reason I am super excited to tell you about my hot off the presses brand new free masterclass that I'm calling How to Make Money and a Difference as an Organizational Consultant. So in this masterclass, I will be sharing with you step-by-step the single solution, the one solution. You don't need lots of solutions. There's a way to tie all of this together that empowers you to achieve your income and your impact goals as an organizational consultant. It's completely free, so definitely sign up now. Head on over to www.betsyjordan.com, and remember Jordan's with a Y, slash consulting hyphen masterclass. So this is where you are going to learn how all of these things fit together. So now let's get on with the show, and let me get into the five personal power skills of an organizational consultant who is highly effective at speaking truth to power and influencing positive change in organizations. So the first skill is systems thinking. So systems thinking is understanding and seeing how all the pieces of the organization work together. So it goes beyond what's documented on the org chart or on the mission statements or the value statements that are on the wall. It's all about approaching your consulting in the similar way that a doctor approaches a patient. So a good doctor knows human anatomy. They can't do their work without understanding the muscular system and the cardiovascular system, etc. A good consultant a good consultant who's working in an organization understands organizational anatomy. So let me share with you what is all included in the organizational anatomy. So there's three primary strategies or systems. So the first is like the business strategy. And the business strategy is all about what the organization wants to accomplish. So this all includes like the mission, the purpose, the brand, the vision, the goals, what's the desired customer experience, the product and service offerings. This is what the organization wants to do and achieve. The second strategy is called, what I would call the organization strategy, and it's all about how how the organization will achieve its business strategy. So it includes the organizational structure, processes, how work gets linked across organizational and geographic boundaries. And then there's the third system, the people strategy, and that's all about the who. So that includes all the HR practices such as training and staffing, communication, performance metrics, rewards, and performance management and coaching. And all three together create the culture and the work environment, and then the culture and work environment also influences the other three. So how systems thinking can help you influence a senior team. So first off, it gives you a framework that you need to solve problems at the level of cause. So when you have systems thinking, you could show them very clearly where the disconnects are and the implications of all of their decisions. So let's say you have a client who really wants to reduce headcount. You know, then you're going to be able to help them see what are all the issues. You also help them to show like where the disconnects are in the system because for the system to work, all of these strategies have to be explicit, effective, and aligned with one another. So there's so many reasons why many companies find themselves in a mess specifically after a layoff because they don't think about the survivors and the implications to their results. So for example, if you are laying off a group of people, 
and you don't replace it and you don't change the processes, what's going to happen is you're going to have employees who have workloads that are doubled, tripled, and oftentimes there's not the related compensation or rewards. So these employees are not thrilled. It affects the work environment. And then also these employees are not really well equipped to handle the customers in the same way as they did before. They're, They're extra stressed. They may not have as much training. And guess what happens after that? Customer service goes down, it affects the business results. And so when you are really trying to influence positive change, you can see how all of these pieces fit together. So you could use the this organizational system framework to pinpoint where the root causes are, where the disconnects are, what the real challenges are. But then you could also help your clients make much better decisions. So it gives you this ability to reveal to your clients because they don't always see how this organizational system is working. You know, an example of, of a company that I really wish would have been paying attention to their their systems thinking um, is this massage membership company I have been a member of for many, many years. I joined because they were down on the street from my house and I could just like pop in whenever I got a, a moment, you know, so if I needed a massage or facial, I can get in. And then somewhere around COVID things changed. So they reduced their workforce and they really haven't staffed back up. So there's very few therapists. I can never get in. And on top of it, they raise their rates. So guess what happened? I canceled my long-term membership and I have a feeling other people did the same. So there's a lot of implications for your clients when they don't see the system, but you bringing your outside perspective and the systems thinking can help them avoid these challenges. Skill number two, political savvy. So in episode 52, I went over the secrets to consulting excellence, and I mentioned there that accepting politics is one of the secrets. But what I want to tell you right now is it's not enough to just accept politics. You really have to master your ability to navigate politics if you're going to be effective in influencing executives. You know, there's so many examples I could talk to you about the importance of my political savvy and how it helped me with my consulting. I could tell you about when I was landing work with, with AAA and the, the HR leader didn't have all the buy-in that she needed to do the project that we were doing. So I spent a great deal of time as I was contracting for the work to train her and coach her on how to get everybody on board. So there was that that helped me from that standpoint. There's the times that I wanted to upgrade a a client and I knew I needed the buy-in of a particular executive in order to influence the president. And I got that executive on board and when I went to the president, the president's like, oh, well, you got to check with this guy, see what he thinks. I'm like, yeah, cool. I already got that in the bag. So I doubled my revenue from that particular project. Or when I did this one project where I had a client who had um I did a customer assessment and there was really bad feedback on the sales process and originally I was going to do my report out with the entire executive team but that would have been a total disaster my political savvy helped me realize like nope I really got to do things more more strategically I need to meet one on one you know with the different leaders and I really need to get this informal leader who's the one that everybody always turned to I needed to get him on board so that he could help me get that sales vp to not be so defensive with the feedback. So political savvy is really understanding so many other things like the meeting before the meetings or or understanding like whose buy-in you're gonna need and how to get that buy-in. So when you get into a client system, you're not just assessing what is causing their performance gaps and where the disconnects are in the system. 
In my last episode, I talked about the importance of a organizational assessment, but you're not just assessing that, you're also assessing the real corporate culture. You know, what are the real values that the company lives by? You know, I'm typically have not been a fan of values exercises with executives because often what they come up with are things that would make them sound better, but don't really reflect their true values. That's why value statements on the wall drive people crazy. You know, those value statements on the break room wall, if they don't match what the company is actually doing, it could actually drive them crazy. So you are paying attention to what is it that this company really values? Do they value independence? Do they value high performance? Do they value collaboration? What is it that they really value? The other thing is that real organizational chart. Who are the real influencers? Who seems to be the power behind the throne, which I would call is your new best friend that you must connect with and win over if you're going to be able to influence any positive change. If you don't know who those influencers are, forget it. You're not going to be able to make the impact that you want because they will tank you and they have the influence and they have the political capital to do that. The other thing that you're looking for is the social system. What departments and leaders get along with one another? Who's in conflict? You know, who's the favorite of all of the different departments? And who's that proverbial, you know, redheaded stepchild that so many, so many of my clients when I've done focus groups are like, yeah, we're that, we're that particular team and the implications and why is that? So politics, both good and bad, will eat the best project plans for lunch every single day. But if you master your political savvy, it will help you land work and set up your consulting so that the results that you want to create will actually happen and they'll actually stick. You know, one of the things that I did at my last job at Disney is I was I was what was called a senior manager of operations integration. And I'll never forget this project. This was one of my biggest, most significant strategic projects. And I was leading an executive teamwork session and everyone's like, you know, it's time for us to really work on an improvement initiative. And one person's like, hey, we should really work on something with the frontline managers. And another person said, well, we should work on the guests and work on something like that. And so what I decided to do is I decided, like, let's take, let's table this. And I interviewed each executive one-on-one. And I found out what their their perspectives were, what they wanted to accomplish. And what I did is I was able to find the through line. And when I went back to the executive team, I was able to to present it sort of like with the blind man and the elephant and say, hey, you're all looking at the issues from a lot of different angles. What we really need to work on is the guest and cast engagement. And I put that label on it. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is great. And what we were able to do is we were able to get the operations team to work on a project to redefine the guest cast and the cast leader experience in collaboration for the first time ever. And so all of this happened, like my executive that I was working with at the time, she says, I've never seen them get on the same page faster. So politics will help you get them aligned to do ultimately what they really want, but in a way where they are partnering and collaborative. So that's the second skill. Let's talk about the third skill. The third skill is what I would call proactive advocacy. And proactive advocacy is both seeing what is possible for your clients that they might not yet see for themselves and convincing them that this possibility is 
doable for them. So I didn't realize like this is like a thing for me that this is like one of my main skill sets until I was leading this final session of this mastermind group. I was leading with a bunch of brand new consultants and coaches and I was teaching them all about marketing and setting up their brand and how to position themselves in the market and all that kind of stuff. And when we were done with this whole experience, I asked them questions, you know, about like what gave them courage to finally leave their jobs and start their own business. And everyone's like, yeah, it was you. I'm like, me? Like, why me? Why would I, why, why do I have anything to do with that? And they're like, well, it's what happened on your intro calls. Is that what you gave me on that intro call was so much more than any information about your programs. You convinced me that it was possible for me to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And because you had that faith in me, I was able to make that move. And I was like, wow, that is huge. I was like crying. Like it was, all of us were crying on this particular call. It was really powerful. But in the context of organizational consulting, that I didn't realize that's a lot of stuff that I did that you can do is that you can help your clients see what's next for them in their business growth and their goals. You know, so for example, if they're a startup company, you could give them a vision for what it looks like to be a company that is scaling up and has the potential to be number one in their industry. Or if you're dealing with a company that is like a, they're really doing really well, but they want to be like a Disney or a Marriott or that type of company, you can show them, you know, now if you don't have experience, maybe in a Fortune 100 company, it might be hard for you to see like, okay, what's next for these companies? So um, I'm going to be telling you a lot more about this um, Consultants Toolbox course. I had had it on the market for a while and I took it off the market. And because I've been doing this particular series on organizational consulting, I really want to bring it back because I want to show you step by step, what do you need to do to land and deliver six-figure consulting contracts and establish your credibility? And in this particular program, I teach a lesson on the stages of organizational life cycle, like what happens when they go to these different levels so that you can use this with your clients and you can help them see like, no, this is possible for you. So I'm going to tell you more about the toolbox, but if you want to know more like right away and you want to get in at a discount, um, definitely sign up for that masterclass I mentioned. So go to www.betsyjordan.com slash consulting hyphen masterclass. You'll learn about You'll learn about how to get a discount on the consultant's toolbox, and I'll tell you all about how to apply these skills and in this masterclass. But the thing for me is I loved having the opportunity to work at like a Fortune 100 company, but you don't have to have that same kind of experience. You just have to have like a couple steps ahead of your clients and show them like this is possible. The other thing about being a proactive advocate is also really dialing into whatever it is that your client really, really wants and needs, like what their true goals are and their career aspirations are. Like a lot of times a consultant will get hired and it's not just for the organizational results. The person who's hiring you has their own career aspirations. So you can advocate for all of these deeper needs and these bigger wants for them in your work together and always remember that, you know, you could always bring them back whenever that fear you know, raises their ugly head. You know, whenever I've worked with executives, 
the one thing that I tell them at the beginning is like, I never will lose sight of what you say. I hear your goals and I will hold these goals for you so that when you hit these roadblocks and obstacles, I'm going to bring you back to this. This is what I do in my brand and business mentoring. I warn them every time. Every time somebody signs up for one of my programs, I tell them I will never lose sight of what you say as your real intentions for your business and what it's supposed to create for your career, for your lives. Because when, not if, when you hit imposter syndrome and fear, we're going to go back to this. And I'm going to remind you of all the reasons why you want what you want and why it's possible. So proactive advocacy is all about that heart of speaking truth to your clients about what they should do that is in their best interest. You're advocating for them and with them for their highest potential. So you see something that they don't see yet and you are putting it in front of them and say, yes, go for this. And you get them excited about that. Skill number four, navigating the relational dynamics of a client consultant relationship, or it's really around handling these emotional triggers. So to be a, an effective, proactive advocate, you must become savvy in handling the emotional issues and triggers that will go along with change. So one thing I know for a fact is that it is a hugely vulnerable thing for an executive to hire a consultant or coach. It is so vulnerable and we can never lose sight of the vulnerability and the courage it takes to hire people like us because what they're doing is they're just like, you know, kind of opening themselves up and say, hey, here's my dirty laundry. Come take a look at it. Let's look at my flaws and let me share my challenges with you. That's a very difficult thing. So at some point, you're going to find yourself with a resistant client. And resistance isn't the same as having objections or a different point of view. It's when your clients are, are demonstrating behaviors that are really a masked expression of a loss of control, vulnerability, and or self-esteem. So how do you know when you're in the realm of resistance? You're presenting a report or working through a strategy or pitching work or somehow Whatever you're doing with the client, somehow, no matter what you do or say, you can no longer get the client to focus on the content of the work at hand. You cannot advance it forward because they're going to do things like flee into health. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, everything is so wonderful now. Everything's fixed. Everything's fine. Or they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so super confused. And then you repeat yourself. They're like, mm, I'm so confused. Or they might accuse you of being an academic, you know, like, oh, you're not... You're just airy-fairy theory. We live in the real world. Or they'll ghost you that somehow they were super anxious to meet with you. And then you put your proposal in front of them. You're trying to follow up. And all of a sudden, they ghost you. And they never have time for follow-up. You know, or they might keep asking you for details, like more and more details. Tell me more. Explain it more. Or the, another resistance strategy is just they comply with what you say just a bit too quickly. So if you're going to influence change, you must be conscious that this will happen either with your client themselves or with someone else in the organization. So I had this one client, it was crazy. So I had another customer assessment I was doing and these customers consistently said that the company won business based on price but lost business because of their horrible service. They got the worst service and this was not good news to this particular organization. And I'll never forget this because I was standing up and I was explaining this. I had all my data and I was going through my report and the VP of operations was just like, mm, no, that's not true. That's not true. And they kept pressing me for more and more examples. He was arguing with me like, this isn't true. He even got up at one 
point to grab the flip chart from me. It's like, no, this is what the customers feel. But the funny thing is, is that he was sitting next to the VP of sales during this whole exchange. And in the meantime, he got an email at that moment from a customer who was saying, we're going to dump you over your poor service. And then he leans over to the VP of sales and he says, take care of it. All the while, he was arguing with my report findings. So the bad news, dealing with the resistance is very unsettling. <laughs> at many times, it feels so gaslighty, you know, and crazy making. But the good news is dealing with resistance and these relational dynamics is a learnable skill. And it begins with you. Recognize your own resistance. We all go through this. So it's totally normal. So it's not like your clients are cuckoo that they might feel resistance from time to time. We all feel like that. You know, so the resistance that you might experience, like when you want to take a move or take an action on something with your business. Like maybe you want to hire somebody to help with your branding or your website copy or your graphic design, like the people that I work with and my team works with. A lot of times that that would be an issue. I can't tell you how many times that when we moved out of the strategy work into the actual implementation, how many times like I would get ghosted by clients because they were like, you could tell, like they're just so afraid of putting themselves out there. You know, it's great to talk about it in the strategy, but when we move into implementation, it's like, ooh, now it's real. What if I fail? What if nobody will buy whatever it is that I'm going after? You know, for your clients, a lot of times for them to move to the next level, for the company on the whole, the leadership, their leadership and operating practices have to change. And your clients might be freaking out because they may not feel like they have the ability to lead at that other level. So then they're going to start being resistant. You know, one of my clients was working into a moving their, they were stepping up they had started off as a smaller organization. They grew very quickly. All of a sudden, now they're a 10,000 person organization. But the leader came through sales and all he knew was sales. And so when he, we were talking about how the culture needed to change and for the company to become more strategic, more long-term, he was freaking out because he didn't have those skill sets. That's not how he was raised. He didn't spend his entire entire career in that type of realm, he was much more opportunistic because he's a sales guy. And so your client has very good reasons just like you do. So what I would encourage you to do around this relational dynamics and understanding that is really connect in for your own times of resistance and how do you get yourself back on track? You know, so do you start to blow off meetings with people who express interest in working with you or avoiding networking and marketing? How do you get yourself back to center? What are the strategies that you use? Because that will give you insight into how you can help other people who might be experiencing that loss of control, vulnerability, and or self-esteem. So now let's talk about skill five. What I would recommend as skill five is use a consulting approach that takes into consideration the organizational political systems the consulting approach that positions you to be that proactive advocate and empowers you to mitigate and in many cases even avoid resistance. So I'm going to be teaching you all about the consulting engagement cycle in that free masterclass. And if you want to learn more about it, definitely sign up. But the thing is, is you and I are both both process people. So it's not about just having a process, but it has a process that integrates all of this stuff so that you can achieve both your impact and income goals. So let me give you a big picture of the process. And if you want to learn more, definitely sign up for the masterclass. Step one is what I would call partnership setup. So you might call it sales or contracting. I don't believe that when a client expresses interest in working with us, 
you know, that it's a second part of your marketing. To me, that's the first part of your client engagement. And what I believe is the best way to go about this is use your relationship skills to pivot a client from whatever the methodologies they ask for and move them into a conversation around their goals. The more you could help your client connect with the goals, the more you are positioning yourself right from the beginning as that partner and you're positioning yourself to deliver on strategic outcomes rather than the implementation of methodology. So in this first step, the client is going to identify for you, they're here and they want to be there. And this is the gap. This is why there's a gap. And this is why it's important to bridge this gap. This is the business case at hand. And this is why it's important. And this is the incremental value that you're going to bring to the table so that you can move into step two, which is an assessment. I said in the last episode, always, always, always start your work with an assessment. And I will continue to say, always, always, always start your work with an assessment. This is where your systems thinking can come in. And this is where you can evaluate the business performance gaps against what you know about how the systems operate. So you could see where all the breakdowns. And then this is how you could solve problems at the level of cause, not at effect. But then this gives you your political data. It gives you the data to understand, you know, the, all of that system and how it's working and how the people are relating to one another. And then you get the data. You get the data that buys you your independent point of view so that you can be a proactive advocate and align a senior team around a common change agenda. So when you have your report and you say, here's what's going on, here's the root cause, here's what I recommend. Now everybody's all on the same page. Again, equally informed people seldom disagree. This is the best way to corral these executives. And then even as a bonus, if you do a stakeholder analysis, like I was mentioning in that project I did at Disney, when I was pitching what I was envisioning this initiative to be that integrates everybody, I remembered what everybody said was their hot button. I went around the room and I said, you know, for you, it's very important that we focus on the guests. For you, it's very important that we focus on the cast. For you, it's important that we go back to the basics. And for you, it's important that we use more storytelling. And I brought everybody's perspective together. And I bought, I got all that buy-in because everybody heard themselves or actually everybody saw themselves in the initiative. And I can't tell you how many times I've done that with my report outs is like, yeah, remember how, you know, Jay, you said this and Pat, you said that this is how it all comes together. Now it's like, ooh, I corralled everybody. Step three, design a solution with your clients, not for your clients. So one of the things that I highly recommend is that when you are doing your assessment project and if you go beyond the senior team and you're moving into the their direct reports, I'm always paying attention to who are those influencers, who are the ones that everybody's turning to. You can tell when you're doing your assessment if you're looking for it. And what I do is I put those influencers together and I make them a project team. And they are the people who have the content expertise to make sure that the solution is right. I bring the process on whatever it is. In the last episode, I talked about the different solutions and I was sharing all the different solutions that you could offer. And so I'll pick whichever one it is, but I'll guide them through the process and I will get them to design whatever that solution is. And when I do that, then then they are excited to sell this solution to the senior team. They've got the credibility because they are there's they are the direct reports of the senior team and they also have the credibility with the, with the rest of the organization. So that's how you design the solution. You do it with your clients. Step four, 
When you help your team implement a solution, you need to make sure they are paying attention to the hardware and software aspects of change. So you need to make sure that they are paying attention to the potential resistance points in the organization and which teams will be affected and and all of those downstream implications. As I mentioned, the systems thinking, you know, super important you pay attention to if we're going to do a change over here. If we change the business strategy, we have to change the organization and people strategies and we have to look at the culture. Or if we change the people strategies, we have to back in and it's going to have an impact on the organization and business strategies. You know, the other thing you could do is you could do beta tests and pilots, you know, so you could ask people impacted by the change to give their input before a full rollout. You can make sure that there's hyper care that's involved in your project so that people can identify where the glitches are so that you just don't leave it hanging. You know, the thing is, is that people buy will buy into whatever they have a say in. And that's why the assessment's so important is you can hook whatever it is that you're rolling out and the communication plan to, you said we listened. You said this in the assessment, here's all the things that you communicated, here's how we solved it. It's a win for your clients and it will definitely make sure that your clients get the results that they're looking for, which enhances your credibility. Which brings me to step five, measure the results of working with you. You wanna be able to measure Maybe you may not measure all of your projects, but you need to have the ability to measure all of your projects so that you have benefit-driven testimonials and case studies. And you want to be able to demonstrate to your, your current clients, for sure, and your future clients that working with you is not an expense that needs to be managed. You're an investment. You generate a return. So measuring the results, you know, so what difference did working with you make? What behaviors changed? What business results improve because of working with you? How did you leave your client in a better place than where they were when they started working with you? So those are the five steps. So now let's recap and talk about the five personally powerful skills that are highly learnable for organizational consultants. Number one, systems thinking, understanding organizational anatomy. Number two, political savvy, understanding the political system and the power dynamics. Third, Proactive advocacy, having a vision for your clients of what's possible for them that they may not see yet for themselves. Four, dealing with resistance in the tricky emotional relational realities of consulting, which means helping your clients overcome their feelings of loss of control, vulnerability, or self-esteem. And then five, the consulting engagement cycle, using a process that will help you integrate all of these things in a predictable way. Because it's hard to think about all of these things separately, but you need to integrate them into a process and an approach that will allow you to guarantee the results of your consulting. So let's talk about the next step. The key to developing these power skills, number one, is simply to let go of the I should already know how to do this myth. This is one of the things that are a constant challenge for consultants at all stages and coaches and people who are leaving corporate. It's very confusing when you have a leadership and a corporate background to go into consulting and helping and advising other people where it's like, I've been doing this for years. Why is this confusing for me? And the reasons why is because because consulting is not the same as leading. It's a brand new job with new skills. And if you can cultivate that beginner's mind and and just accept like what you don't know, it will definitely fast track your progress. The second thing I would say is the next step is, which of these skills do you wanna learn right now? Which is gonna be the most beneficial for you? 
And if you want to learn more about the consulting engagement cycle and how you can make money and a difference as an organizational consultant, I would love to have you inside my consulting masterclass. Head on over to www.betsyjordan.com slash consulting masterclass. There's a hyphen between consulting and masterclass. And I'm so excited to share with you more around how do you implement this single solution for your consulting that will help you achieve both your impact and your income goals. And I'm also going to be sharing with you things like how to overcome the hidden barriers to connecting with executive buyers and more. So you'll also get an opportunity to get a big, big discount on the consultant's toolbox along with a bunch of extra bonuses. So definitely head on over to that masterclass. And stay tuned for next week. I'm super excited about this. Um, I decided to have a reunion with a couple of my colleagues from uh, Disney who were also on my organization development team. So they're going to be coming on the show and we are going to be having a fun conversation about our shared experiences being on that team and what we learned from being at Disney. And you're going to be thrilled to hear how they have taken the lessons into their own consulting practices. And it's going to be cool too because we've all done our practices differently and we have all built our businesses in very different ways. So you could see different ways that you could apply some of these principles that I've been sharing with you on this organizational consulting 101 series from, from these people. So definitely be sure to hit subscribe wherever you're listening. So you don't want to miss it. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If today's episode lit a fire in you, please rate and review enough already on Apple podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. And if you're looking for your next step, Visit me on my website at BetsyJordan.com, and it's Betsy Jordan with a Y, and you'll learn all about our end-to-end services that are custom designed to accelerate your success. Don't wait. Start today.